Exactly, exactly. And this is actually going to be one of the best ways to get your sex drive back. So if you feel like sex is just something that you do for your partner, of course, it's going to feel like yet another obligation or expectation that you have on top of your shoulders on top of like everything else that you're going through. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We are honored to have sex therapist Vanessa Marin back on the podcast today. Vanessa's first episode was episode 21. She tackled so many good topics in that one. It was the most listened to episode of 2020, and we knew we had to have her back on the podcast to answer more of our listeners' questions about sex and intimacy. So Vanessa, if you could please introduce yourself once again for our listeners. Hey guys, I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) So my name is Vanessa. For everyone, anyone who didn't catch that first episode, I'm a licensed sex therapist and I'm here to help you stop feeling ashamed or embarrassed of sex and start having way more fun in the bedroom. Uh, So I have a whole bunch of online courses that deal with different common um, challenges that people have in the bedroom, like female orgasm, mismatched sex drive, low libido, male performance issue, and um, also, yeah, work with a lot of different people over coaching as well. But my mission is just to help people have truly extraordinary sex lives. Vanessa, I'm sure you aren't surprised, but we were flooded with questions for you. Intimacy and sex, they're things that are so important in partnership, but often not talked about. And the type A planner in me is going to start off by asking about scheduled sex and sexy time. Kyle and I recently bought your workshop and love the information that you shared on this piece specifically. We touched on it in your last interview, but can you dive into why it's a good idea and isn't as non-sexy as it sounds to maybe put on your calendar? Yes. So I am so glad we're starting with scheduled sex. It's such a fun topic for me to talk about. Um, I know that there's this stigma against scheduled sex. A lot of people think like, oh, it's just, you know, that's weird that you have to put it on your calendar. But, you know, the reality of our lives these days is that we schedule the things that are important to us. We don't leave things to just chance. We don't hope that they magically happen without us planning for them. So my question is, you know, if we schedule the things that are important to us, why should sex be any different? And I think it's really interesting when we compare it to date nights. So I know date nights have looked a lot different this last year, but like, let's think, you know, back in 2019, you know, if your partner told you, Hey babe, I've got a date night planned for us Friday night, be ready seven o'clock. I'm going to surprise you. Like we would be so excited about that. Like you're not going to tell your partner, you know, God, I wish that he had just done that spontaneously, like, you know, waited until Friday and just scooped me up and took me out the door. Like we get excited about somebody thinking ahead and making plans for us. 
So I think it's, you know, just getting ourselves into that same mindset that we can have that approach towards sex as well. So obviously, if you're looking at sex, like, oh, God, I have to put it on the calendar. This sucks. Yeah, it's going to feel really crappy for you. But if you can get yourself into that same sort of mindset of, yeah, I look forward to spending time with my partner. I want to prioritize it. I know we've got a lot of stuff going on in life, and I want to make sure we carve out this time for each other. You know, we can just have a totally different attitude towards it. So I think that, you know, then having a little date night on your calendar, a sexy date night on your calendar, you know, you can plan for it. You can prepare for it. You can get yourself feeling excited about it, anticipate it. You can get ready for it in the way that you might get ready for date nights or maybe even at the very beginning of your relationship when you and your partner were like still in that courting phase. So it's really just all about the energy that we bring into it. Okay. So for me, who is not a planner? Is this as simple as saying like, okay, Tuesday night is our sexy night and that's when we are going to do this or do like both people's alarms go off at 8.30 p.m. and that's the time that they're going to do it? Like, I just want a little more context. Yeah. So there are so many different ways that you can play with it. I mean, this is another, I'm glad you brought this up too, because I think a lot of people get this idea of, okay, it means, you know, every Wednesday at 735, the alarm <laughs> goes off and like, you know, you have to just peel all your clothes off as fast as possible, but you don't have to do it that way. So it could be, you know, yeah, we're going to do every Tuesday. So at some point on Tuesday, we're going to be intimate with each other. If having a specific time is what works for your schedules, you can have a specific time or a time range, like some time between four and six, something like that. You can take turns, um, you know, planning sex so that, you know, maybe one partner is on in charge one Wednesday night and they get to set up this whole like seduction scene and, you know, get everything ready. And then the next partner takes over it the next week. So there are all different ways that you can play with it and make it feel like fun and playful and exciting rather than this, like, oh God, there goes the alarm kind of thing. Yeah. And I love what you said there, like figure out what works for you. Like Drew loves to take a bath, you know, and <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. But, you know, thinking like this is what he really likes to do. This makes him feel in the mood. Like I can walk his way on that, um, which leads us into our next question about sex drive, because this comes up time and time again. So we want to tackle this issue with you. So one thing that we heard from our listeners is that sometimes it's the male partner that has the lower sex drive because the stereotype is men always want sex. It can make the female partner feel very rejected when her partner doesn't feel that way or when he has a lower sex drive than her. So can you give advice on how to explore this with your partner in a way that could be helpful to both parties? Yeah. So first, what I want to say is it is way more common than people realize for in a heterosexual relationship, the woman to be the one who wants sex more often. Um, I think, and you know, very close to half of relationships, the woman is actually the one with the higher sex drive. Um, so I think this is just so fascinating because we never talk about this. And so even though, you know, close to half of relationships have this dynamic, pretty much every couple that I've ever talked to where they've had that dynamic, they've felt really 
alone and embarrassed about it. Like feeling like, oh my God, you know, every other relationship is totally different and we're the only one struggling with this. So I think, you know, it's just really important that normalization, like I think the vast majority of my work just comes down to like telling people you're normal and it's okay. Um, So if this is the situation in your relationship, like listen to this episode with your partner and say like, wow, I had no idea. I really thought that we were alone in this or this was really uncommon. Um, You can also follow my account because it's something on on Instagram um, because it's something I talk about all the time. Like I've been in relationships where I was the higher sex drive partner. And so I know the way that that it can, you know, we can take it personally and we can make it mean all of these things that it doesn't really mean. And so I think, you know, together with your partner, you can have these conversations of, wow, I had no idea this was so common. Isn't this really messed up that this is something that almost half of couples are dealing with and yet we don't talk about it. We're all left to feel like something's wrong with us. And now, just now we're learning that it's totally normal and common. So I think sometimes just being able to get a little bit like fired up about the socialization that we get around sex, all these bad messages that we get around sex, like that can be a really bonding experience. And then, so I think that, the, the reason that this can be such a challenging dynamic is like I was saying earlier, it's like we make it mean something different, which mainly is like, I think women who have higher sex drives, they feel like they're not very feminine and men who have lower sex drives feel like they're not very masculine. And that's a really big part of our identity, right? Like our femininity or our masculinity. But it's so important to recognize that you know, if you have a relationship with your partner where someone has a higher sex drive, like that's just kind of by random chance, you know, I could go find a new partner. I'm not, not going to, if Sandra's listening to this, <laughs> but I could go and like find a new partner and maybe I would happen to have a higher sex drive than him, or I could find another one. Maybe I would happen to have a lower one than him. It's like, it's just two random, you know, pieces of data that get put together. Um, but our sex drives, they really are not a reflection of our masculinity or our femininity. Um, you know, our sex drives get affected by a lot of different things. So like, like, what does that even mean? So for example, like sex um, stress is the number one killer of sex drives. So then does that mean that like, if you have high stress, you're not feminine. And if you have low stress, you are masculine. Like it doesn't even make sense to play it out that way. So I think it's just so important for us to take those labels off of it and recognize like your sex drive being relatively higher or lower to your partners doesn't say anything about who you are as a man or as a woman. Well, Vanessa, this is exactly why we had you back on the podcast, because you are normalizing these things that so much of our population is going through right now. And you just mentioned stress. So let's go Mm -hmm. deeper into that mental health piece. One woman specifically asked about how does mental health and the mental health struggles in men, how does that negatively impact their sex drive? So do you have any tips on how to overcome this piece of it? Yeah, this is a really challenging one. So, you know, mental health has a huge effect on sex drive. So I think most of us, we tend to think of sex drive as just this, like, it's sort of like exists on its own. And we don't recognize like just how many different dynamics can affect it. And mental health is a huge one. And it's a very challenging one, because nobody should have to be in a position where you're trying to choose between like your mental health and your sex life. And, you know, this can get even trickier when you need to take anti depressants or anti-anxiety medication, which are lifesavers for a lot of people, but definitely have negative sexual side effects. So it just creates so many challenges for people, you know, struggling to, to navigate all of that. 
So I think that it's important for us to prioritize our mental health first. I mean, obviously everyone wants to have a hot sex life, but if we don't have solid mental health, like we're not going to have any sort of life. Um, so I, I definitely recommend that people do therapy. I know you guys are huge proponents of therapy, which I'm so grateful for, but you know, it's just so important if you're struggling with your mental health, like you have to get support. You cannot do it on your own and you should not feel like you have to either. Um, and fortunately, a lot of other things that you can do to support your mental health can also have a positive impact on your sex drive. So things like, yeah, decreasing stress, what we just talked about, exercising, eating well, self-care, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm not saying, you know, just tell your partner, hey, babe, go on a run and like your sex drive <laughs> should be fixed and your mental health should be fixed. Um, but, you know, I think as partners, what we can do is, is support our loved ones in taking really good care of themselves. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I feel like this gets complex kind of fast because, oh, yeah. you know, part of your sex life does have to do with your partner. And if he or she is not feeling their best, like that's going to have an impact. Uh, it, it, we can totally understand how it would be hard. Um, we wanted to mention for our VIP patrons, Vanessa has done a sex drive workshop for us, and that is going to be in Patreon for you guys. So you can dive into sex drive while gathering some really tangible tips for it. I wanted to touch on the idea of sometimes going a little bit your partner's way and getting your take on it, Vanessa. To give a personal example, Drew has recently mentioned, babe, I want you to initiate sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can totally understand where he's coming from because we've kind of fallen into this pattern of him initiating most of our intimacy. So is it sometimes important to meet these requests from your partner? Yeah, this is such a great example. So it definitely is important for us to listen to all of our partner's requests, like inside and outside of the bedroom. I mean, you know, part of partnership is that we respect each other and we take each other's needs seriously. And, you know, we're willing to take things into consideration. So I want to be super clear that just because your partner states a need does not mean that you have to fulfill it. So there may be certain things that your partner, you know, shares with you that you want that you're not comfortable doing, or there's a boundary for you around that. That's totally fine. The bottom line for me is like that we at least are willing to hear our partner out and respect them for their desires, not shame them or make them feel bad. And they need to respect and, and hear us for our boundaries as well. So like, it sounds like with the example that you're sharing with Drew, like, like, well, actually I'm curious, like what came up for you? Did you, when he made that request of you? I was surprised because I didn't know that that was something he was thinking. And mm. then for me, it was really easy. I was like, I can totally do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a really easy request to meet. And I was thinking, I'm like, I want him to feel desired by me because he is. Yeah. So for me, um, it helped spur me into a little bit more action because I thought it was like a very, a request I could easily meet. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, sometimes our partner's requests are things that we're like, yeah, I could totally do that for you, babe. And those are the fun, easy ones. <laughs> but I think also what you're speaking to as well is like how easy it is for us to just fall into patterns in relationships and not talk about like, is this pattern actually serving our relationship? 
So like you and Drew were just kind of going along, like he initiates, you guys have some fun together and, you know, it just fell into a pattern really easily. And, and you didn't realize at all, like that this was a need that he had. So that's why I think communication is just so important that we're constantly like checking our stories with our partner and saying like, Hey, is this something that's working for you? Is this a, is there a way that we could do this a little bit differently or just switch it up? So I think it's great. And it, it's such a wonderful testament to your relationship that Drew was able to come to you and just say like, Hey babe, can we initiate? Have you initiate a little bit more? So I, I would give him like tons of praise and just say, thank you for being willing to share that with me. I'm, I'm glad you were able to speak up and that way you guys can continue having more conversations about what you each need from each other. Well, and these patterns can turn into habits and it's so oh, easy yeah. just to keep on doing the exact same habit over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is the preferences. Like this is a very interesting piece of this conversation. And one of our listeners wrote in, and I can totally relate because this is Colin and my situation as well. What if I like it in the morning and my partner likes it at night? Yeah. <laughs> so we all have different kinds of preferences, you know, in the bedroom and that's, that's it, you know, that they're just preferences. They're things that we tend to like a little bit more. And I think a lot of times people get freaked out by having different preferences than their partner, because we all worry so much about compatibility. We want to want the exact same things in the exact same way every single time. Like that's what makes us feel like we're compatible. But the reality is like we're different people and we like different things. And that's what keeps relationships and life interesting. So, you know, sometimes these preferences, like they are not huge deals. Like for this one, I'd say like, okay, well then you have sex sometimes in the morning and you have sex sometimes at night. I think it goes back to what Amy was saying, like that if you're willing to be generous and giving to your partner, again, when there are things that it's not crossing a boundary for you, but if you're willing to be generous and giving to your partner in certain circumstances, that's going to inspire them to be generous and giving to you in return. So if you feel like there's that reciprocity, um, it's a different situation if it's always one person who's going, you know, for the other partner's preferences and not getting their own met. But if we have that, like that even exchange of like goodwill and reciprocity, then I think, yeah, sometimes we kind of bend a little bit. Um, I prefer nighttime sex. Xander prefers morning. And so, you know, sometimes we have morning sex and sometimes we have night sex. (laughs) Well, I think for many of our listeners, they feel kind of touched out by the end of the day. So that's where scheduling sex and knowing that, okay, mm-hmm. this is what's happening at the end of the day. Maybe yeah. my partner can do a better job of taking on more childcare responsibilities, taking on more household responsibilities. So I can yeah. feel sexy at night as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely comes to like knowing yourself and what works for you. What things do you like, you know, and being able to communicate those things with your partner. Mm-hmm. So I know this is not one of your favorite questions, but it's one that gets asked fairly often. So Vanessa, how much sex should we be having to maintain a healthy relationship? Yes, this is such a common question. You guys know how I feel about it. (laughs) But yeah, it's so funny. We actually just put together, we were talking about this um, before we started recording, we just put together this survey to share with our audience to see how much people sex are, how much sex people are having, because I know it's such a, a common question that comes up for people. So my answer to the question, though, is that there really and truly is no magic number. Um, I've worked with couples who have sex every single day, and they were miserable and felt unsatisfied. And I've worked with couples who have sex a couple of times a year, and they are thrilled and so happy and feel you know in love and connected. And we also go through different seasons in our relationships too. You know, you might have a season with your partner where you're just not having that much sex, but it feels okay. And then you might have a season where you're having a lot more sex. 
So I think, you know, I, I totally understand the desire to hear like, okay, twice a month and you are good. You get a gold star. <laughs> like I know we all want something like concrete that we can hold on to, but it's really more about finding a number that feels right for us. And interestingly too, like I, I don't think there's even a number that we can think about because like life is so much more complicated than just a number. So you could say to yourself, like, I want sex three times a month, but like, like I was saying with, you know, having different seasons of our relationship, well, what if you're having a really tough month and you're struggling with your mental health? Like you're probably not going to want it exactly three times, or you could have it exactly three times and it not feel fulfilling. So, you know, I think it's something that needs to be an ongoing conversation in your relationship where you guys are kind of like flexing and adjusting. But what I will say about this is that I think that we should all be making the effort to have sex more frequently than we might like just naturally fall back to because it's so easy for sex to fall to the back burner for us. And it just, you know, kind of sinks to the bottom of the to do list. And so if we make that effort and we try like a little more often than we then we just feel the desire to, then you'll probably be in a good place with your partner. Such an interesting conversation, too, because Sometimes moms submit confessions like I haven't had sex with my husband for a year and mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't <laughs> I don't care. And I think that that gets hard because what if your partner cares that that's yeah. been off the table like I just think there's more give and take to relationships than sometimes people give credit for. Mm-hmm. Um does it feel like most long-term couples need some regular sex to keep the their partnership the way that they want it? Or like you were saying before, can some couples like not have sex and they still have a good relationship? So there definitely are couples that could have no sex and both partners be happy and satisfied. So I don't want to like take away from that at all. I do think for the vast majority of couples, we do need to have some amount of regular sex. So I know that it's really easy for us to think about it as like, oh, it's just sex. Like, why is everybody so obsessed with it? But the reality is like sex is a way that we physically express our love for each other. So I get, I hear this question of like, well, should we be having sex? I kind of hear it as like, should we be telling each other we love each other? Like, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So, you know, it's like similar to that. Like there are some couples who they might like to say, I love you every day. There are other couples who maybe, you know, once a week or every once in a while, they say it to each other. So it's the same sort of thing. But I do think there needs to be some sort of, you know, ability for us to express ourselves physically. And, and sex can be a way that we like play together and, you know, feel so connected to each other. So I do think that, you know, some amount of sex is important in the majority of relationships. And like going back to what you were saying, Amy, the the perspective that I take about this is that in a relationship, if something is a problem for one partner, it should be a problem for both partners. And that doesn't mean that we, you know, break our boundaries or we do things that we really don't want to do, or we are responsible for all of our partner's needs. It just means that we acknowledge, like, I see you, I validate that, you know, the challenge that you're having. And and this is important to me too. How do we work on it together? Mm -hmm. I love that. We recently had Belkanina on our podcast. Her episode was Mm -hmm. episode 61 and you starred on one of her famous Sunday confessions (laughs) of which you cleared something up that I wanted to touch on here. 
a lot of people have these thoughts or fantasies that pop into their head and then they feel terrible about them. Mm-hmm. I think you listed common ones like say someone has a dream about an ex or they have a fantasy about someone the same sex or they have a thought about a threesome. Can you talk about some of these thoughts that can pop into our heads and maybe help people let themselves off a, off the hook a little <laughs> bit by normalizing? Yeah. So let's talk about distracting thoughts that pop into your head versus fantasies. So we have like distracting thoughts that pop into our head during sex all the time because we all have distracting thoughts that pop into our head all day long, right? Like that's just the way that our brains work. We can't control the specific thoughts that pop into our heads. So I have thought about some incredibly bizarre things during sex and I've definitely, you know, judged myself like what the hell, why am I thinking about like aliens instead of having sex with my husband who I love? Um, But it's just how our brains work. Like that's just what happens. So if, if you're having those distracting thoughts, it's okay to take a second to kind of acknowledge like, wow, that's weird. I wish I wasn't thinking about that. But then just bring your attention gently back into the moment and just recognize like it's just the way that your brain works. So then fantasies are a little bit different. So I think of fantasies as something that we're actively thinking about. So it's not just that it's popping into our head, like we're making a decision to think about it. So when it comes to sex, I think that fantasy can be a normal and healthy part of having sex. I think that it's just a different kind of stimulation. It's like a mental stimulation that we're getting. And some people are a little more cerebral. Other people are a little more kinesthetic. So we just like, we, you know, we interact with sex in different ways. So if you, you know, fantasize during sex and you enjoy it, it feels fun. Like that's totally normal and that's fine. Let yourself fantasize. It can turn into an issue if it feels like, the only way that you can get turned on or have an orgasm is like by using one specific fantasy. Um, Or if you're having specific fantasies that you feel really uncomfortable with, like it's just, you know, it, it stirs up some pretty intense feelings for you. So if that's the case, may want to talk to a sex therapist and, you know, check in a little bit about it. But the vast majority of the fantasy is like, it's okay to fantasize about another woman and have no, you know, not actually want to do it. It's okay to fantasize about your ex from time to time. Like, I know it's uncomfortable, but it's just our brains kind of playing the same way that you might've, you know, daydreamed as a kid about like being an astronaut or a rock star. Like our brains just kind of like to play with different scenarios. I'm so glad you brought that part up because it's, there are women right now who are feeling less alone and less like they're weirdos <laughs> for having these thoughts for lack of a better term. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just normalizing those types of thoughts. Yeah. So let's switch it over to female sex drive. Every time the subject of sex comes up, so many women, so many of our listeners in this demographic ask about sex drive. And one woman in particular wrote in, is it normal to be two years postpartum and still not want sex? I have three kids. And others echo similar sentiments like, when should I be concerned about having zero libido? Yeah, this is such a popular topic. I'm really glad we're talking about it too. So for me, it's really important to normalize that your sex drive is very likely to drop off postpartum. And the reason for that is because literally 
everything in your life changes postpartum. Like you've just gone through this huge life milestone. You've done, gone through something that's a traumatic event to your body. Your body hasn't felt like yours for months. And, you know, now doesn't feel like yours, feels like yours even less. Um, you might be, you know, kind of relating to your partner in a different way, trying to get a sense of like, who are we as parents rather than as just partners? You're having stress and anxiety about keeping this, you know, tiny human being alive. You may be dealing with postpartum depression. You may be not sleeping very well. You're doing so much work. You're overwhelmed, overloaded. Like (laughs) that's a lot of stuff that you're dealing with postpartum. And like I was saying earlier, like our sex drives are sensitive and they get affected by a lot of different dynamics. So it makes perfect sense that it's hard to feel that desire on top of everything else that you're going through. So the challenge here is that, you know, a lot of women are not prepared for this and all they really hear from their doctor is like the magical, Oh, you're, you're six weeks. You're good to go. And, you know, while you might be medically cleared to have sex, we don't really talk about like that. It's probably going to take you a lot longer than six weeks to be mentally interested in having sex again. So For me, I think that if we start with, you know, encouraging moms to like recognize I've been through something really huge. It's okay for me to not want sex. I don't need to pressure myself to snap back sexually and like be back in the saddle at that magical six week date. Um, you know, I think if we give ourselves that permission and that validation, then that opens up a lot of energy that we might have spent like beating ourselves up or worrying or feeling like something's horribly wrong with ourselves. So there definitely are ways that you can get your sex drive back postpartum. Um, but I, for me, it, it just always starts with that that permission and that validation. And we are sending just so much love to our listeners because we know that intimacy and sex with your partner, it can feel like one more demand put on your plate. So Vanessa, do you have any suggestions for how to possibly reframe that thought and maybe reconnect with our own sexual needs, wants, and desires? So many of the questions come in are wanting to improve it for our partner, but I think we could open it up and really frame this conversation around returning it for the woman. Exactly, exactly. And this is actually going to be one of the best ways to get your sex drive back. So if you feel like sex is just something that you do for your partner, of course, it's going to feel like yet another obligation or expectation that you have on top of your shoulders on top of like everything else that you're going through. Now, the, the unfortunate reality is that the way that, you know, straight couples, the way that we're taught to think of sex already heavily heavily favors male pleasure over female pleasure. And so even before getting pregnant, a lot of women are just used to having sex that is way more for him than it is for her. So we really need to turn that dynamic around and recognize like her pleasure, your pleasure is just as important as your partner's pleasure. So I think a lot of it really comes down to like reframing what is sex. So the way that a lot of us have sex is like, you know, we do a couple minutes of making out and we're straight into intercourse. And I think we talked last time about how intercourse actually isn't the most pleasurable activity for the vast majority of women. It's just not the way our bodies work. We don't have very many nerve endings in our vaginas. So we don't feel a lot of sensation or pleasure from intercourse. So it needs to be, you know, changing it around and and being able to prioritize, well, what are the activities that actually make you feel good? And this is a great thing to do postpartum too, that like, rather than feeling like, 
okay, my partner wants to have sex. I have to say yes and have intercourse with him, which could feel terrifying, frankly. (laughs) Um, Instead, it could be like, okay, well, what's some form of physical intimacy that I'd be open to having with my partner. So maybe you love making out with your partner. Maybe you love taking a bath together. Maybe you love snuggling together. Maybe you would like to use a toy on you or have your partner go down on you. Um, You know, so really like looking at what are the actual activities around sex that feel good for you, that you enjoy, that you look forward to, rather than feeling like there's, you know, this specific series of steps that you have to go through. Yeah. And I think too, it just, it can come back to communication and feeling comfortable enough with your partner. Like hopefully he's very receptive to what you want and to what you need. Um, Cause like, like everything in a relationship, it's a two way street. Mm-hmm. I loved this question that came in from another listener. She said, how can we be intimate from across the world. My husband is deployed and I want to keep the spark. We wanted to make sure that we included this because we want our listeners to know that intimacy doesn't just include the physical act of sex. Yeah, absolutely. And there are also a lot of couples, you know, just because of the pandemic who are forced to live apart. So this is a question that I'm getting a lot more often too. So I think, you know, even if you can't physically be together, there are still ways to maintain that intimacy. So obviously, you know, nothing's going to be exactly the same as, as being able to have that skin to skin contact. But I think keeping the conversation going around sex, like a lot of times couples are frustrated by the distance and they don't even want to talk about sex or, you know, how much desire they feel for each other because it just feels frustrating. But I think it's important to keep talking about sex. So maybe it's you guys can make a date where you, you know, you listen to a podcast together or, you know, you follow my stories and talk about that. Um, Maybe it's even just reminiscing about favorite sexual memories that you've shared together. So, you know, depending on your level of privacy, maybe it's, it could be over video chat or phone calls. Maybe you need to do stuff more over email or text messages, Um, but keeping, you know, talk about sex with each other. You can also make a bucket list of things that you'd like to do when you're reunited with each other. Um, And this can be a great way to introduce like trying new things in the bedroom too. like, yeah, let's make this list of what are all the possible things we can do when we're back together. Um, And if you do have a lot of privacy, like you can even do things like talking dirty together, you could masturbate together, um, you know, so it'll depend on your specific situation. But there are definitely ways that you can get creative and have a little bit of intimacy with each other. And sex is so much fun when you can anticipate it, if it's months like this listener wrote in, or if it's just hours between the workday ending and you getting to be with your partner. Mm-hmm. And this is one subject that Amy and I, we know it's so important in our own relationships and also for our listeners. So we have quite a few ways that we're going to be serving all of you, of course, with Vanessa's help. So as Amy mentioned before, our VIP patrons are getting a sex drive workshop this month. It's perfect for those who are struggling to understand their sex drive or are tackling mismatched sex drives. Vanessa's community is also going through a 30-day sex and intimacy challenge. You can sign up for that through February 16th, and Vanessa will be giving a special discount code. So head to our show notes and over on Instagram, and you can join Amy and Drew as well as Colin and I in this challenge. Just a reminder that it isn't just about having sex every single day. Vanessa, anything else to add to this one? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to to get to share this. So yeah, the 30 day sex challenge is something that we put together because I know a lot of couples, you know, you you hear the advice to try new things in the bedroom and you want to do it, but then you try to think of like what exactly to do. And a lot of couples start getting really shy and embarrassed. So I created the challenge to take that pressure off of you. Um, So what happens is that when you sign up every day, you get an email that has two different ideas that you can try in the bedroom together. So one's a sensual challenge and one's a sexual challenge. So the sexual challenges are like a little bit more, you know, they're more sex based, but they're not all intercourse. That's an extremely important point that I want to call out. Um, Whereas the sensual ones are more about like intimacy and connection. So some of those are like even just having a certain conversation with each other or doing like a little touch exercise. So you get your choice of like, what do you feel open to that day? But it's just really fun to get surprised every day with, you know, these specific ideas that you can try out together. And then we are also doing some special things with it um, for in kind of in honor of Valentine's Day. Um, we're going to be, at, for anyone who signs up for it, we're adding on two coaching calls absolutely for free with Xander and I. So the first one is going to be how to get the confidence to try new things in the bedroom, because I know that that can be a challenge in the moment too. And then the second one will be about how how to make the time to do, you know, to be more intimate with each other. Cause I know that that's another huge roadblock that most couples are facing these days. So it should be really fun, a really sweet little like Valentine's day that you can gift that you can do together and a way to really prioritize your intimacy and jumpstart your sex life. Vanessa, as always, thank you so much for being here and for leading our community in this very, very important chat. I'm excited to the, do the challenged and I feel so honored to know you. I would love if you shared for our listeners where they can find more of you. Yeah. So you can find me at my website. It's vmtherapy.com. And then on social, I'm most active over on Instagram. And my handle is Vanessa Marin Therapy. So we're always doing like fun stories and different challenges and stuff like that. So definitely head on over there and say hi and let me know that you came from the Herself podcast. And I wanted to add that her husband does this business with her. So there's always a male perspective and they have a lot of fun with it. So I find this company to just be very inviting to both genders, which I think is so awesome for this kind of information. So if you Yeah, guys, he's been having a lot of fun too. <laughs> yeah, and you can tell. Um, if you guys like this episode and you would share it to your story and tag both of our handles, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks again, Vanessa. Thank you so much, you guys.